Hi, I'm George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Welcome to the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that failure is a problem for most people. Why is that? In a single word, conditioning. Conditioning is simply training. You have been taught that failure has to be negative. I am here as your personal coach to help you relearn how to accept your failures and turn those experiences into positive mindset, change, and success. Look, motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good, but that's not what keeps us going. That's not what's going to change your life, and that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people make a difference. What keeps us going, what produces results in our lives is balance, not success alone. You have to develop a healthy balance between success and failure. It does not have to be one or the other. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you'll thrive and that's when you will finally live a whole life. You'll be much happier. I will help you recondition your mindset by exchanging ideas and strategies to guide you in making transformation so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single episode which you can utilize to create change in your life. Failure is about learning how to embrace your challenges and taking 100% responsibility for your life. Most people hate to talk about anything that has to do with failing. It's like Uncle Bruno. We don't talk about it. Nothing good comes from talking about it, right? Bruno is a fictional character who appears in one of my favorite Walt Disney animation pictures, Encanto. It all boils down to the fact that Bruno's habits of predicting events and people's failure, which would later come to pass, made people anxious and wary of him, ultimately leading to him being ostracized. This is similar to how people respond to us when we fail. You know, parents feel anxious when their children fail. Leaders, family, and friends often ostracize us when we fail. Or at best, they patronize us. Why? Because they don't know how else to respond. Now, how can we make failure okay to talk about while making it fun and failure-tastic? Well, there are a couple of ways to go about this. You need to laugh and learn when you fail. Don't always take your failures so seriously. Allow your failures to educate you on your next step of your journey. Most of us know what fun is, but what are failure-tastic moments? Well, I created this word and had it trademarked. A failure-tastic moment is when you have tried to accomplish a goal or tried to become successful while pursuing an endeavor, but you faced failure after failure after failure. You know, it, it was like when I was trying to get the amazing Patty Aubrey to come work with me on one of my projects. I mean, it literally took me several years to get this done. In fact, this month is four years almost to the date from when I first met Patty and Jack Canfield in the Trainer Trainer Certification Program. After being trained by Patty and Jack, I knew I wanted to work with them. Instead of quitting, I never gave up. And because I did not give up, I accomplished that goal because of the lessons I learned along the way. And guess what? We have her as our guest on the Failure is Not the Problem podcast today. Some of you would say, man, in a conscious like that, that's fantastic. No, that's what I would call a failure-tastic moment. Hello, everyone. I am your host, George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Today, I want to introduce you to an amazing thought leader, coach, mentor, trainer, businesswoman, and strategist. She is the mastermind behind the billion-dollar brand Chicken Soup for the Soul Enterprise. Also, president of the Canfield Training Group and 14-time New York Times best-selling books. Who is changing the planet within her chosen profession? 
Hello, Patty. Good to be with you today. How are you doing? I'm good, George. It's good to see you. Congratulations for going for it and doing this. I love this. Failure-tastic moments. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Such an honor to see you, Patty. I noticed you were just out there changing the planet and doing all kinds of great things and whatnot. But before we get started, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about you and your background, if you could. Uh, a little bit about me. Well, I am. A, I grew up in a typical middle-class family. I'm an official Valley Girl. For anybody that ever saw that movie, Valley Girl, that was me. I'll try not to say totally on your show. And then uh, went off to school and graduated from San Diego State after about eight years of failures. <laughs> Talk about failures. I had a 1.8 average in the beginning. That was fun. And then I ended up working with a tech company, didn't like it, realized that I couldn't my personality just wasn't the type to live in a cubicle. And so I thought that I was a failure. What I didn't know was that I just was more of an entrepreneur and I couldn't listen to other people. I had to be my own boss. And so I, I ended up finding Jack Canfield. We started working together very early on. The first time I interviewed with him, he didn't hire me. I guess that was a failure. But he called back three months later and said, I think I made a mistake. And I said, it's going to cost you. So that failure ended up going from 25000 a year to 30000 And then from there, we built the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series, sold that in 2008. But during that 18 years of Chicken Soup, made a lot of mistakes. We did a lot of failures. Everything from signing some really dumb contracts to not having a good plan. Uh, but every mistake today, that was a failure then, is actually almost hysterical because it really does grow you. And, and you think about some of the things that were so ridiculous and seemed so hard at the time. And, you know, you beat yourself up for it, but in the long run, it, they were all blessings. So to me, failure is just a part of fact finding and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Yeah, right. And in fact, it took you eight years, right? It took me 14 from when I first started college to actually get that degree. So, you know, tons and tons and tons of failure on my part also. So just an amazing, and the audience needs to pay attention to what you just said. It wasn't uh, where you started, it's where you actually ended up. And man, you out there doing some great, 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 great stuff, you know, for this planet. So I'm really excited to see that. I know that my thought processes were transformed when I went through the trainer trainer program and some of the things that you guys taught. And one of the reasons that I'm able to do this today is because I followed some of those guidelines and some of those principles and some of those rules that you guys set forward for us doing that training. So I'm really appreciative of everything you've said. But if we go back just a little bit, can you share just a specific instance where you faced a significant setback for failure and how you initially reacted to that? Most folks don't react real well, right? Oh, gosh. I mean, as a leader, it's so fun, not really, when you have a group of people. And probably my biggest asset, my biggest liability is I think big and I think quick. And so sometimes I'm way too quick for people where I'll be, you know, Jack will say, it's not that the idea is bad. You just scare the crap out of people because you're thinking, you know, you're, you're already to the moon and you haven't even told the people if there's gas in the rocket. So for me, it's about learning how to communicate with my team, showing them what it looks like laying out a plan. And I didn't always do that. And I still don't always do it. And I never will always do it. But at the time... I would call in consultants and basically I'd pay them a lot of money for them to come back and say, you need to change. <laughs> 
you're the problem, Patty. And that was hard. You know, it's easy to get defensive and spin out in your stories and talk about why everybody else should be different. But the reality is nothing changes until you do. And so I had to really look at the fact that I was the leader. I had to show up as the leader. I had to be the guy or the woman with the flashlight that showed them the way. And some days that's hard to do. We don't always win at that. We're not always good at that. And so lots of frustrations, uh, miscommunications. And I think to you know, having success early, you know, in your 30s, I, you're not as graceful as you are in your 50s. And so I failed a lot when it came to the level of grace and compassion and uh, listening. And it was tough. And it's hard to lose that stigma. You know, oh, here comes the crazy lady. <laughs> no, you know what? You make some great, great points. You know, different people have different assets uh, when it comes to being able to think long, wide and deep. You know, we talk a lot uh, about in the military because, you know, long, wide and deep is incredibly important because we have oftentimes, you know, people's lives are at stake. So we need folks who can think, you know, long, wide and deep in the same way that it may not necessarily involve, you know, physical lives, right? But definitely you're impacting people's lives in these kinds of things. And folks who can think long, wide and deep, very oftentimes very, very intimidating. So I can actually understand and, and see what you mean by that. But I, I love what you said when you said you learned lessons along the way when you brought other folks in and folks are like, you know, we're on planet Earth. We know you're on the moon now, but we, we, we've got to try to figure out how to get from here to there. And to be able to do some self-introspection and lesson learning and those kinds of things are incredibly important. So when it comes to some of the lessons that you said you learned, I mean, what lessons did you, you learn from that failure when it came to your staff and how? How has that actually influenced your approach when you uh, come up against challenges and whatnot, Patty? Well, I think the biggest thing is I had to learn to put my ego aside mm. and stop making it about me. And I think what happens for a lot of us when we're doing something new and, and people aren't receiving the message or they're not seeing the vision, we tend to take it so personally. And it, you know, I mean, my partner is Jack Canfield, which a lot of people know him, and he's very linear. He asks a lot of questions. He's very methodical. I'm very like, I see it and I just want to get there and I would get frustrated. And he would ask me all these questions and we'd have these arguments. And I would say, why don't you just trust me? He says, I do trust you. I need to catch up. So let me ask the questions. This is my process. It has nothing to do with you. And once I got that, everybody had their own filter, their own story that it, it became so much more neutral for me. Even to the fact yesterday we were driving home from a long weekend of a training and then we had a long board meeting and he was not a happy camper and he was crabby. And he looked at me and said, I, I'm sorry. I said, hey, it has nothing to do with me. I'm good. <laughs> well, geez, what got you like so that. spiritual? You know, but the truth <laughs> is, there's so much freedom and just admitting when you don't know what you don't know. There was a time when I was building Chicken Soup for the Soul and my entertainment attorney came to me and said, you need help. And I was mortified. I thought I was such a failure. I can't believe this. I've sold 50 million books, but I'm not doing a good job. I was insecure. I didn't have the experience that I needed to take the brand any further. And so, of course, I got defensive and I said, I sold 50 million books. I think I can handle this. And he said, listen, if you want to sell another 50 or 100, you need help. And so I, I said, OK, he said, I think I have the right person for you. Just interview him. And so, of course, I with my tail between my legs, I went to my dad's house, who was one of my mentors. I said, you know, I'm feeling really insecure. And maybe if I wasn't a woman, if I was a man, they would be doing this. My dad said, hold on. Who is it? 
And I said, it's this guy, Russ Kamalski. He built the Kathy Smith brand, the exercise woman. And my dad said, Russ Kamalski, if you get him, you are lucky. My dad knew the guy. So it turned out that what I thought was a failure was actually a gift in disguise. And to this day, we still work together. I actually spent the whole day with him yesterday. He's amazing. Again, it was ego. And so when we can look at, okay, what's going to get in the way? If I do this next big thing, where am I going to fail? I'm going to fail in the details. All right. So who am I going to get on my team that's going to question every detail? Who's going to be the guard of the details? It's not my job. I can't do it. I'm never going to do it. Admit that I can't do it. I would be a failure. So I shore up my team. I find out where I'm strong and I bring in where I'm weak. I bring in the experts. That's what we do in today's world. And you know what, George? No one taught us that in school. I mean, I think they taught it in the military because you had to have a team or you didn't live. But in the educational system, if you had a team, you're cheating. I mean, two things that get in the way, and you've addressed them both when it comes to failing and people unwilling to actually move from where they are to where they're supposed to be because of that, you know, because we have teach these kids what win-win only. That's the only option. Failure is absolutely an option, Patty, because it's a part of the construct. If it's a part of the construct, it needs to be a part of the equation, right? And, and in fact, I created an equation, you know, the E plus R equals O that you guys actually have in your trainings. I come up with one, it's L plus RR equals S. That's where that originated from is because I saw what E plus R equals O was about. I said, how can I transform that into an equation that works for me? So L plus RR equals S is this, failure plus right response equals success, right? So the two things that oftentimes get in the way of us becoming successful and not accepting failure in the way in which it is meant to be is ego and also stigma. And when you are someone that's really good at what you do, boy, the ego is hard to tame. And especially when it comes to the failure. And it creates this anxiousness because you know or you feel or you believe that you're really good or you want to believe that you're really good. Then you've had multiple successes. Now all of, the, all of a sudden it's failure. And the unwillingness to listen to that can be very challenging for folks. So you can't always win. There is no such thing as win only. And the other piece is the stigma that you addressed. Oftentimes people, Patty, will say that they're afraid of failing. And, you know, throughout my research and just my life in general and the way I've changed my mindset to see failure as positive as opposed to negative, it's not really the failure that people fear. It's the stigma associated with that failure. And doing my coaching and stuff, I always try to teach people, no, no, you're not really afraid of failing. Let's think about this for a second. Is it really the, the event or is it really, you know, what happens, you know, because of the failure? And stigma, I come up with an acronym. Shameful thoughts I give myself anxiously. Stigma, shameful thoughts I give myself anxiously. That's what stigma is when it comes to failing. I'm stealing that one, George. Oh, that's too easy. That's too easy. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, man. I got a lot of your stuff I'm using too, so we're back on you. Hey, look here. Were there any unexpected opportunities that arose from the failure leading to positive outcomes you might have not experienced otherwise? Absolutely. Let me tell you my biggest fail. Well, it was our biggest failure. We got turned down by every single publisher in the world. 144 no's. And our agent said, I'm sorry, I failed. I can't sell your book. And he gave back to us. So the first amazing thing out of that was we didn't pay him 15% of 500 million books sold. The second amazing thing was we decided that failure was not an option at the point because we were so far down the road. So we went to the book show, which was at the time called American Book Association. Now it's called Book Expo of America. And we, the guys, Jack and Mark had backpacks and I would just fill up with manuscripts and they would give them to everybody. The interesting thing is that 
we didn't have a booth or anything, but Jack said, I, I think I know a guy that has a booth there. I did a, a workshop for him once. He does a lot of recovery and addiction stuff. It's a company called Health Communications. Maybe he'll let us put our stuff in his booth. And so he said, of course, absolutely. So after three days of no's and failures of you know being rejected, he said, as Jack was walking out of the parking lot, hey there, do you want me to read the book? If you want me to, I'll publish it. Now, he was this tiny little publisher, and we were thinking we needed a New York publisher, and it needed to be big and all these different things. And Jack said, well, I would really want you to like it. And he said, well, I can't like it if you don't give me a copy of the manuscript. And so we did. And he called a couple days later, and he said, I love the book. I want to publish it. He said, but you have to guarantee me that you can sell 20,000 copies. And so we, of course, said, we'll guarantee it. But what turned out to what we thought was our biggest failure was our biggest blessing, because that he owned the presses. He owned all of his distribution. He owned all the paper. He owned the editorial, the art department. He was a one-stop shop. He was a small publisher. He only did about $7 million a year. But five years in, he invested every nickel into the best print presses. We were able to publish or print 500,000 books a week. We were running three shifts. And we built his company as he helped us build our brand. We had a 1% return rate for the first 11 years. It was almost like we owned our own publishing company. Any other publisher would have said, no, you can only do one book every three years. Years. At the end of our, our journey of chicken soup before we sold it, we were doing 18 books a year. So, you know, what seemed like such a failure, but we didn't give up was actually just a journey to the right space. Yeah. Yeah. Look, unintended experiences of failure, right? Amazing. Amazing. 144 no's. Most folks would have quit, you know, at what, 10, 15, 20, but 144, and you guys didn't give up. You know, that reminds me of uh, one of the principles that you and Jack teach when it comes to, you know, being an ask hole, right? You know, you guys talk and said, look, some, when you go and you ask folks to help you, some will, some won't, so what? Keep it moving, right? And that's kind of what you and Jack did and look at you. I mean, you know, multi-billion dollar company doing the kinds of things that you both love and enjoy to do the impact our planet. So that's a fantastic story. No, no, that's a failure-tastic story, isn't it? Huh? <laughs> hey, what about, how do you balance the fine line between learning from failure and not letting it define your identity or your confidence? That's a tough one. I think, um, I think it comes with age. I, I wish that, you know, you could learn it sooner. I have a couple of young women that work for me in their thirties. And I think the best thing to do is to find a mentor, to have somebody that you can go to. When I was in my 30s, I didn't have any women in my life that said, I've done this before, I can help you get through it. And so for me, my mission is to give women permission to show up, speak up and be seen. And if you don't, you will fail. No action is failure. And action is progress. You know, it's like, we're going to have two stories in our head, right? We've got this inner Mm -hmm. critic, telling us, oh, you're not good enough. And there's one that's saying, I've got a dream. And so my challenge to everybody, which is what your FRS is, is what's that response going to look like? Are you going to create the first R? What's the first R for your F plus R R equals S? Right response. Okay, so the right response needs to be intentional. That's right. When you intentionally choose a response that's going to move you forward, that's the voice you've got to listen to. And guess what? It's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be scary. But the only failure is listening to the voice that will keep you stuck in your past. Yeah, well said. It's important to be your authentic self. I mean, we talk about that a lot, right? 
And for me, that's what failure has allowed for me to do. I mean, I, I, look, I've failed, I've failed multiple things throughout my life. Kindergarten, barely graduated high school, failed out of six colleges and universities, right? Thought I'd be a professional athlete. That didn't work out. Tried to get in the military initially. It took about four or five times of just failure after failure after failure. But when I got in the military, that's where I actually changed my mindset regarding failure because of an incident at the weapons qualification range. And Jules Horn said later on, Lou, get your head out your full point of contact, you know? And he said this, he says, failure is not your problem, son. It's how you respond to it. That's where that came from as a private in the United States Army and went from being that to being, you know, a colonel in the Army. And even when folks told me I'd never, ever be an officer, I didn't have the right pedigree, they had no education. And I was inducted into the Officer Candidate School Hall of Fame in 2018. So you don't always have to listen to folks. And being I think is very, very important. I remember one of my favorite movies, some people may have issues with this, but look, I mean, the movie was funny to me, right? It's uh, Tropic Thunder, right? And Robert Downey Jr., if you've seen the movie, is he portrays these three different guys. And one of the scenes, he talks about, you know, I know who I am. I'm a dude plan a dude pretending to be another dude, right? And how often do we do that? We, you know, say that we're somebody that we're really not because we want others to think, you know, highly of us in these kind of things. But those folks who have amassed uh, a great amount of success, all I've ever talked to said this, is that they learned way more from their failures than they ever did from their successes. So I love what you just said and how you explained that. Hey, Patty, can you discuss a time when failure made you question your path or your goals? And how did you navigate that period of uncertainty? Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, I feel, first of all, I, I failed a lot when I played the comparison game. You know, I was comparing myself to Jack. That's a place not to go to. It's a self-esteem exercise all by itself. I mean, went to Harvard, the guy's got a photographic memory. You can read a hundred miles a minute. And I always felt like I wasn't meeting the expectations of others. And so I, I felt like a failure a lot. And what you just said, I used to try to be something so people would accept me. And here's the deal. And I say this to everybody I meet, you're going to be judged regardless of who you are. So be yourself because trying to be somebody else is not scalable. And so that people pleasing, those limiting beliefs that we have that keep us back or we do things for all the wrong reasons. I think that is um, something that we need to get through and just be authentic, be transparent, be you. No, well said. We have so many people, that, you know, they feel uh, as though they're not enough. And actually, when it came to failure, failure taught me that I was enough, right? Because it literally, but it, but it was a mind shift. It really and truly was. Because the way in which I had been taught is that, you know, if you fail, then you're not enough. You're not smart. You're not, you know, as sharp as you think you are. You have no value. And if you have any value, it's negative value. And that's just not the way that should actually be. I mean, failure is, a, I think, is the greatest, you know, resource on the planet. We utilize it in the right sorts of way. In all areas of our lives, if we just use that one word to, to do mind shift change. Uh, what about this? Did you receive any valuable advice or support from others during your, your moments of failure? And how did that influence your perspective? See, most folks don't make it okay to fail. The Army made it okay for us to fail, right? Because in the failure is where we got better. In the failure is where we figured out what the challenges were. So I thought it'd be interesting just to, to ask you if you received any valuable advice or support during the times and moments when you had failed. You know, I had a couple major midlife crisis, you know, in my late 40s, early 50s. And I was lucky enough to have Jack, who is always very compassionate, hates confrontation, actually, which has been a benefit for me. <laughs> so if I didn't screw up massively, he didn't really want to have the conversation. But I think I think that was probably my biggest critic. And I think for me, no, what, like you said earlier, some will, some won't. So what? Someone's waiting. But also... Just, I think the biggest lesson I've learned is I can buy into that and go down that dark hole, 
or I can rise above and say, if it was possible, what would it take to make it happen? And so if somebody tells me it's impossible or no, I get excited now because I, if it's never happened, if it's a new idea, if someone's never done it, I get excited because it's new. I turn it around. I have to reframe it and just look at this like, you know what? I'm a speaker. I'm a trainer. I motivate people for a living. This is just one more example for the books. If I screw this up, I can talk about it from stage and I'm just going to be more human just like the rest of us. And so I have to reframe it to not make myself crazy because what you focus on is what you get. And so if I focus on the stupid things I've done and the failures I've had, I'm going to get more of them. So I try to just accept it, be human. And I think it makes us more human because who wants to hang out with somebody perfect? Well, that person doesn't exist. And if that person does exist, as soon as you show up, it no longer exists, right? So, so that's kind of how that works. But uh, one of the things you said that, that jogged a memory is that, look, I've been on uh, a number of stages, you know, talking to a number of different folks. I mean, brief ambassadors monthly. I mean, talking to, you know, just major, major, you know, power players within the confines of the upper crust of the United States military and, and uh, different countries and, you know, if you Google, you know, Colonel George Milton in Ukraine, you'll see me briefing the Ukrainian parliament on some stuff, right, back in 2015-16 uh, timeframe. But um, I think it's important to to remember this. If you're on stage and you, you're coaching, mentoring, training, man, it's important for you to remember that just because someone has been speaking or teaching on the topic that you are teaching or speaking on, no one's going to deliver it in the same way that you do. So you're the subject matter expert at that particular point in time. I mean, there's not a topic that, that I could possibly think of that someone hadn't spoken on in some sort of way. When I began this failure is not the problem journey, I initially thought, well, who wants to talk about that? But nobody wants to talk about that. And then I got to thinking, well, for me, that's a good thing, right? If nobody's talking about it, because now I can talk about it. And uh, that's why I do. I get fired up, man, when I talk about this, Patty. And I see failure in everything. But in that everything where I see failure, I see success, man. If people would respond to it in the right sorts of ways. In fact, I have this, uh, I wrote a book, a kid's book about two years ago. And I've been trying to find a graphic artist. And I found one and uh, she sent me a copy of it yesterday. And I, and I just almost brought me to tears. I thought this is going to be great because there wasn't anything for someone such as myself, you know, when I was in kindergarten or first grade to, to talk about these kinds of topics. So uh, I've actually written that and it should be, I uh, hopefully it's been on the Christmas time frame along with another book that's been edited also. So I'm very, very passionate about this topic. I'm sure you can't tell that. But look, in hindsight, do you think there were signs of factors that contributed to the failure which you might have otherwise overlooked at the time? Were there failures that I overlooked at the time? I don't know. How, say more. Ask me it in a different way. Yeah. I mean, so initially when you started out, you, you said you wanted to be something, something other than what you actually ended up being. Yeah. Right? What was the difference? So my dad was a typist in the army. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he typed like 130 words a minute on a typewriter. And so I didn't want to take typing. I was like, I'm not taking <laughs> typing. And I said, my secretary will do my typing. You know, here I am. And my dad said, you have to learn how to type. So I took the typing class. And then I actually set a goal when I was working in technology, which I hated, to make 25,000 a year. I was making 14,900. And I was looking in the LA Times, this time I met Jack, and I see this ad and it says $25,000 in bold. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But underneath it says secretary wanted. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be a secretary. I'm 24 years old. Like who am I to say? And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go. 
I'm, I'm going to go for the money. I set the goal. I'd never set a goal in my life. I didn't even know what goals were until I went to a, one little workshop in 1989. And in that same year, my whole life changed when I answered that ad and I didn't get the job, but then I he came back. And so he had to pay me 30. But I thought being a secretary was a failure, but it was actually, it was just a stop sign. It wasn't even a stop sign. It was an entry sign to get in. And so what did I do? I didn't act like a secretary. Jack went out of town for three weeks to go on the road. We were teaching teachers and I looked at all of his expenses. I looked at his financials. I looked at how much he was spending to do all this custom software stuff. And I went, this is nuts. And so I fired the guy. I said, this is crazy. You're ripping him off. I took all the content. I exported it out of this old machine. I put it into a Mac. I networked the Macs. He came home. He had a new Mac, a new laser printer. And I said, by the way, I just saved you 25,000. I spent 25, but I saved 25 and I'm the vice president of operations. And he said, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I could have let that story stop me and not have done that. My life would be completely different. So it's not what life serves you. It's what you do with it. I love that, right? I mean, that's, I, I got chills now when you said that. I mean, that speaks so loudly to me. I mean, I never wanted to join the military. I wanted to be a professional football player. I mean, that was my forte. I was pretty decent, you know, got a football scholarship, went off to some colleges. I, I didn't know I was going to fail out all six of them. But anyway, that's another story, right? But by the time I joined the military, Patty, everything that I had done previous to that had prepared me for the military. And absolutely was a perfect place for me to be. And just absolutely loved it. Unintended consequences of failing out of six colleges and universities brought me all the success that I've had 40 different countries later doing great stuff and, you know, impacting lives and whatnot. So I, I love what you just said. And it resonates so, so loudly. Hey, what about uh, strategies? You know, in the military, we're strategists, man. At least we think we are. So what type of uh, strategies or mindset shifts do you employ to help you bounce back and stay resilient, you know, after encountering failure? Well, the first strategy I have is I, I really listen and I look for where people are struggling and I love problems. And if I can see that there's in my world, in the world of self-help, I feel like there's this new pandemic of you have to be a marketer, you have to be this, you have to be that. It's be all things to all people. And, and you might have been an executive CEO for a big company and now you want to just change the world and get into the world of transformation and helping other people evolve. Well, you, you need to learn that skill set. And then people want to write a book. So they're trying to learn a skill set to be on stage. They're trying to learn how to write a book. They're trying to learn how to do what you're doing, which is a podcast. They're trying to, you know, be on every platform and social media. And it's this whirlwind of crazy. And my thing is always, what's your strategy? Who are you? What do you do? Why do you do it? Because if you don't know your why and you're not really passionate, you're not going to survive it. So don't pick something that you think is logical. Pick something you love. Pick something that you are so passionate about that keeps you up at night. You can't help it. You want to make a difference. And so I look at what's missing and I help people solve those issues. And one of the things that's missing is a plan. People get into this industry and they jump in the pool off the highest diving board with no plan. They don't even know how to swim. And so my thing is, let's build a blueprint. Let's put it on paper. You would never build a house and hire a contractor and say, just start with the bathroom. I'll get back to you later. You've got to get an architect. You've got to think it through. You've got to have a blueprint. You've got to know how to get from step one to step two. I do not want to walk into a house and run into somebody's toilet because they didn't think it through. <laughs> you know, that would be a failure. Right. And, and so for me, strategy is everything. You have to have a plan. And you have to be willing to be flexible. You have to be willing to listen to feedback 
because that plan can morph and change. And it doesn't always look the exact way that you thought it did, but at least you have a plan. And I always say have plan A, and if things don't work out, have plan B, but only focus 5% on plan B. Make it solid and let it go. It's there. It's your disaster relief kit. But plan A is stay focused, continue to go, constantly improve, persistence pays off, and focus on what you want, not on what you think you can have. Go for the goal and don't listen to your self-talk. As Oprah says, if I have a bad thought for more than 17 seconds, it's going to come true. Yeah, well said. Well, that's look, that's powerful. Audience, look, listen to these wise words of wisdom from someone who has made all kinds of you know impacts, not only through her life and other people's lives, but on the planet and whatnot. So the wisdom that you guys are gaining here today, I hope you're paying real close attention because I know that I am. I am taking copious notes, man, making sure that I continue to learn and do some of the things that Patty's actually mentioning. I'm going to ask you one more last question here. So I, I know you got a lot you got, uh, got going on today, Patty, and then we'll just give you an opportunity to, to just tell us a little bit about how to get a, get a hold of you. But this, this last question that I want to ask is one that's incredibly important to me, right? You know, I grew up in an organization that made it okay to fail. I mean, the Army put us in situations whereby it forced us to fail because they wanted to see how we were going to respond. So they created these obstacle courses that there was no outcome. I mean, it's just not solvable. I mean, there were also obstacle courses where there were, but the ones that were most important were those that did not have an immediate or an, an end that uh, was solvable, right? Because they just wanted to kind of see. And that gives oftentimes us the, you know, uh, the mindsets of the folks uh, you know, who's preparing to go to war. I mean, when you choose a commander to take a unit to war, you got to kind of know a little bit about these folks. So, you know, putting them in situations prior to going to those kinds of uh, conflicts can, can oftentimes help us kind of, you know, determine what, you know, whether or not that person is going to be a good fit. And you can't do that 100% of the time, but you can get an idea in terms of certain things that are taking place. So here's the question here. Now, how do you communicate the lessons you've learned from failure to your team or your colleagues or followers in a way that inspires and empowers them? How do you make it okay to fail? Uh, gosh, mm. I don't know if I always do a good job. I did this just this last weekend, actually. One of my employees was really upset and frustrated. And she was saying, you don't understand. You know, you don't know what it's like. And I said, oh, but I do. And basically what I said to her was, look, some things are never going to change in certain organizations. Some people aren't going to change, but you can change. You can make new decisions. You can make up a story that I mean, she came up with this amazing idea to create this unbelievable product and nobody thought it was possible. I've been there a lot of times and she's young and it was a massive success, but she felt like a failure because it took so long to convince people. I said, you can focus on that. Or you can focus on the fact that you did it. And here's the deal. You can have new boundaries. You can set yourself up for those responses that people are going to give you when you come up with a new idea. There's a lot of people that aren't willing to live in ambiguity. And so those who are can get frustrated quickly. So come up, create your little strategy circle. What are the obstacles? Have a response that you intentionally choose before it happens. So when it does happen, just like with you, when you're in combat, You've been there before, even though you haven't, you have. And so anticipate them, embrace them, and just know it's not about you. It's just how they operate. So if you can understand the different ways that the other people are operating, you can support them. And the other thing is some people shouldn't be in certain situations, period. By removing them from those situations, they might feel like a failure, but they're going to be, they're not a failure. They're just in the wrong role. 
I, I love that, right? That, that's look, it's not the failure that you need to pay attention to. It's the role that you play, right? And sometimes we're just not a good fit for that particular role. It doesn't mean that you're not good at what you do. It doesn't mean that you don't have value. The last unit I commanded and took the war, right? That unit had a commander. The two-star that I was working for at the time was not comfortable with him uh, taking it to war. And he said, look, I got to find someone. And I say, sir, give me the unit. I'll take it. And he says, what are you talking about? I said, give me the unit, sir. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I mean, I've been you know, multiple times already. So I kind of understand who these people are, what we do. I work with them every day. I understand the, the unit. I understand the mission that we're going to take place. So it wasn't to, to make the commander who was uh, in the unit initially, the point wasn't to make them feel like a failure or to make them feel like they weren't good enough. It was that for the mission that was going to be taking place, they needed a different type of commander. And I, I fit the bill for that. And we went there and was extremely successful, right? So it wasn't about me succeeding and that other person failing. It was about making sure that we had the right fit because of the mission that was there, Patty. So I loved what, what you just said. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you um, uh, uh, you know, the last words here before we end uh, the podcast and just let folks know uh, how they can contact you and all of that, ma'am. Well, you can find me on Instagram or Facebook, or you can go to my website at pattyaubrey.com. And that's A-U-B-E-R-Y, not R-E-Y, because that's what lots of people do. And I'm sure you'll see a post in this uh, podcast. But my mission is to just help people go further faster with less effort and more strategy. And if I can be of service, just opt in and let me know. Outstanding. Hey, look here, listening audience of Failures Not the Problem podcast, do me a favor. Reach out to Patty Aubrey. If you want to change your life, if you want to empower yourselves, if you want to get to the point from where you are to where you're meant to be, you need to reach out to her. I can tell you right now, four years ago, uh, I could not have actually seen myself doing the podcast. But after the types of trainings that I received at Train the Trainer, man, let me tell you something here. Guys, I am on fire. Let me tell you because of this lady here. And if you want to be so as well, please reach out to her. Thank you, Patty, so much for this honor of actually having you on the podcast. I learned tons today. And man, looking forward to seeing you and working with you in the future. Well, thank you. I'm so proud of you. And I saw you as a podcaster the minute I met you. So. <laughs> That's kind. Thank you, Patty. You're awesome. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. If you enjoy what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at georgeamilton.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.